Well, listen, we, uh, we started last week, those of you that were with us, we started a, uh, a little two-part series here talking about the joy of the Lord, how to be content, how to find happiness, how to be uh, of even keel. And we're going to finish that today, but before we get to that, let me tell you why this is so important. Let me, let me give you another reason other than just the fact that it's better, feels better to be joyous, to be happy than it does to be sorrowful. Feels better to be at peace than it does to be stressed. Feels better to rest rather than to be anxious. So we all know that. But is there something more altruistic? Is there something more, more in concern about others that might be a motivation for our being joyous? Well, let me give you a perspective that, uh, that I had and uh, something that we talked about in staff yesterday. And that is this, that there is a section of scripture uh, in the book of Corinthians that talks about that everything that, in the basic understanding of it, I won't quote it exactly, but the basic understanding of it is that anything that can be shaken will be shaken. There's a verse of scripture where it says where Jesus will shake not only the earth, but the heavens as well. And we have lived in a time, uh, certainly, where things have been shaken, uh, or confidence in uh, uh, you know, just perhaps the economic systems can be shaken. Our confidence in our governmental systems can be shaken. Uh, our confidence in our health, our, our, our confidence that there will be a series of tomorrows for us. All of that can be shaken. And it behooves us, therefore, to have some things that can't be shaken. Uh, there are things that are immovable, that don't change. Kingdom of God is a kingdom that will never end, the scripture tells us. That the cornerstone of Christ Jesus, and if you understand the metaphor of the cornerstone in building, certainly in ancient building, when they were building with big hewn pieces of stone, the very first stone that they would lay would be the cornerstone. And it had to be true and level because the rest of the foundation and subsequently the rest of the building would be laid off because of the angles of that one stone. That's why the cornerstone not moving, being stable, being unchanging. You couldn't, you couldn't have a stone that would you know, start out at this level and then tilt. No, the cornerstone had to be solid and stable. And that's why the, the parable that is used of Jesus being the chief cornerstone is such a powerful, powerful truth for us that when you build your house upon the chief cornerstone of Jesus, or better yet, build your life upon that cornerstone, it is steady, it's stable, it's strong. And you remember the parable that Jesus used about the two houses, one built on the sand, and when the winds and the waves beat against that house, it collapsed, and the scripture says, and how great was the fall thereof. It was a terrible loss. But then it tells the story of a house built on a firm foundation, and when the winds and the waves came against it, that house stood firm. And the admonition that Jesus is telling us is that we should be built upon a firm foundation. Now, why? Because prophetically, not just happenstance in our world, not just the circumstances of corona or government or economy or elections or wars or any of that, but prophetically in God's timetable, things are going to be shaken. We've been preaching and thinking about it, and I was reminded of it this, uh, just, just this week, that we could very well be entering the literal prophetic beginnings of the end times. 
We haven't really focused on that. We've been so focused on the right here and the right now. But what if this is the opening door of the beginning of the end times? I mean, where really prophetic things begin to occur before our eyes. And if that's true, then things are going to be shaken. But here's what's so important. That's why I think this message ties in so well. You and I can't be among those things that are constantly in a state of upheaval. We can't be constantly shaken in our spirits or in our mind or in our speech or in our actions. We can't be, you know, running around at some phonetic pace, just worried about everything and constantly responding to all the circumstances of the world. You and I have to be those whose lives reflect the solid foundation, the cornerstone upon which we have built them. And we've got to be confident about what the Lord's doing in our lives and through our lives both today and tomorrow and the next day. That's how we have to live. Whether we have tomorrow or not, the body of Christ has got to sort of regain our composure and set our eyes, fix our eyes. What does the scripture say? Upon Christ Jesus, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. We've got to be steady. Because we're on a good foundation. And in the midst of that, we got to display some joy. Pastor, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. How can I be joyous? Well, you just can. Because the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we begin last week. I gave you uh, four last week. We're going to begin with verse or with the fifth part this week. But let me recap real quickly the first four. Number one, it's okay to be sad sometimes. We're not, uh, we're not fake about our happiness. Life ebbs and flows. Uh, But we can't live in a state of always being down, but it's all right to be sad sometimes. Number two, happiness is is best defined uh, in a biblical form as joy, something that the Lord supplies, um, contentment, something that is more sustainable. Number three, uh, what causes contentment? A couple of pieces in this, uh, being around a community of people, certainly like-minded believers helps. Uh, confront it, it helps you to confront annoyances, annoyances and crises with some grace. You learn to be gracious when you're around other people, and it involves being in community and being around other people. Uh, involves a willingness to learn and to stretch and to grow, which produces um, just good things in us. Uh, number four. Um, sometimes people think that if I could just get everything I want, I'd be happy. No, the opposite is actually true. Getting everything you want doesn't make you happy. So take your sights off of that. You know, if I could just get a new car, I'd be happy. If I could just get a bigger house, I'd be happy. If I could just have that. No, listen, those things might bring a moment of of sort of, of celebration, but that wanes. And I think we've all experienced that. Things don't make you happy. So let's finish this up. We've got five, six, seven, eight, nine, some scripture And some things to add to that. And this next one might seem a little bit strange, but we've all experienced it. And watch this. Pain is a part of happiness. Pain is a part of happiness. One of the things that we as humans need, created by God to need, is contrast. We need times, and and I don't know that we should look for them. They will be there. I think that's why number one is such an important point that we said... It's okay to be sad sometimes. It's those periods of sadness. It's those periods of pain. It's those periods, not ordained by God, but used of God, that 
set us in contrast so that we can understand what happiness and joy feel like. You, you ever experienced the relief that comes from some circumstance being resolved or some forgiveness being extended or some opportunity opening up when you come out of sorrow into celebration? How sweet the celebration is. How good the relief is. I've, I've told this story before, but it, 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 I'm reminded of it over and over again. Uh, I had a dream several years ago. And in the dream, it was one of those doesn't mean anything dreams, not a prophetic dream. And in the dream, I had gone out without talking to Leanne at all. And I'd gone over here to Ted's Harley Davidson and I'd bought the most expensive Harley Davidson they had. And I hadn't told her. I'm, I'm not really a Harley person. I, I, I don't even have a motorcycle anymore, but, but I had done that. And in the dream, the sense of it was... I now had to go tell her. I had used a bunch of our savings, and now I had to go tell her. And there was just this panic, just this gripping fear. Oh, my goodness, what have I done? What was I thinking? And then I woke up, and I can remember sitting up in the bed, still feeling that terror. And then all of a sudden, I realized it was a dream. I didn't do that. <laughs> and it was such a relief. You know, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I wasn't that dumb to do that. It was, that, it was the contrast that made the relief that much sweeter. And there are times in life when we do experience sorrow and pain. But that gives us a contrast by which we can measure how good it is when the Lord provides relief. And the greater the contrast, the greater the sense of appreciation. So don't worry that there are times when you feel pain or loss or sorrow. Watch this. Those won't endure. They will pass uh, and the joy of the Lord will return. Number six, uh, and I think this one's absolutely true. Happiness and joy lies in the chase. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no constraint, where there is no a barrier where there is no, and I'm going to use the word struggle, but something that, something that focuses you, something that if you go down to the river today, there are levees and the river can't just do whatever it wants. There, someone had a vision for where the river should be and, and how it could be most productive. And so they hemmed it in. That's part of what a vision does. It focuses us and causes us to move, to pursue a particular course. And that's exactly what submitting to the Lordship of Christ does. Some people speak of grace like it's a do-anything-you-want thing, but genuine grace and genuine faith constrains a life where suddenly there are levees that get put up because every, easy pleasures, easy life, easy everything does not cause us the same sense of happiness and joy as does working hard for something and accomplishing it. We were made by God to achieve things. You're not made to just sit back and do nothing. And that really doesn't matter what age that you're in. In fact, one of my favorite sort of studies, one of my favorite uh, uh, understandings of, of psychology, a study was done about why as we age, it feels like time goes faster and faster. Do you remember this? I've told you before. That you hear people, older people all the time, say, the older I get, the faster the years seem to fly by. Well, psychologists looked into that, and it's true. Obviously, time is not literally moving faster, but it feels like it is to us as we get older. Here's why. 
Our brains are designed by God to mark time by significant events. You graduate high school, and then you go to college, or you get married, or you join the military, and then you have your first child, and then you get your first big promotion at work, and then you, you become the, you know, the, the, the director of your division, and then you retire. And all of those are significant moments by which we measure, our brain measures the passage of time. One of the things that happens as we get older, though, all of those significant events are behind us, and we fall into routines that get repeated over and over. We get up at the same time, we eat breakfast, we, we clean up at the same time, we go through our day, we have lunch at about the same time, we, we do the same routine, we watch the news, we have dinner, we do this after dinner, we go to bed, get up, do it again and again and again. And because of that routine, because there are no significant moments, time just seems to fly by. So how do you slow it down? Do some new things. Try some new adventures. Create consistent new moments. It's in the chase. It's in the pursuit. Live every day. Listen, we don't know how many days you have to live, but be doing something. Be pursuing something. Set a goal. I I, I can walk a mile. I'm going to walk two miles. I can walk two miles. I'm going to run a quarter of a mile and walk a mile and three quarters. Start doing some things that you've never done before. I intend, and I know I'm not there yet, but I'm a, I intend to be learning and reading and growing right up until the day the Lord calls me home. I'm going to be doing something. I'm going to be trying new things. I'm going to be eating new foods. I'm going to be going new places. I'm going to try to expand all of my life because happiness lies in the chase of something. One of the things I've found for me is that I have to have always something out in front of me that I'm leaning into. When I say leaning into, something I'm putting my shoulder against, something I'm trying to build, something I'm trying to read or write, or something I'm trying to accomplish or move towards, I find my joy in the pursuit. And oftentimes when something's finished, I'm kind of sad. Because then I, I, okay, what's next, Lord? What do you want me to do next? Happiness lies in the chase. Where there is no vision, where there's no direction, people perish. Have a vision for your life. Where are you going to be this time next year? Well, we'll be right here doing the same thing. Don't do that. Find something. It can be something as simple as, I'm going to go volunteer at the library. I'm going to go help deliver meals. Find something that gives you purpose, something that is difficult to do. People say, well, I can't wait till I retire so I can just quit working. I don't ever want to quit working. I'm going to be working on something. I was making plans the other day. Someday I want to have a greenhouse. Someday I'm going to have a big old garden. Someday we're going to can tomatoes. Someday we're going to, I mean, it's just a constant vision for what we want to do. Doesn't have to be expensive. Doesn't have to be exotic. But happiness is found in the chase. Why is that? Because the Lord made, he didn't make you to sit down. He didn't make you to to do nothing. He made you to choose and chase after things. So do so. Happiness is found in the chase. So let me challenge you, senior adult. What are you chasing? What are you chasing? No, I've arrived. I'm I'm settled right here. Shake that off. that, That is a Western mentality. You've been told that a lot. Shake that off. Do something different today. Do something you haven't done before. Do something that you've never thought about doing. Come on, find some things to chase, to pursue. Go audit a class at the university. You say, oh my goodness, I'm 80 years old. 80-year-old people audit classes, take an online class, start learning a new language. Hey, there you go. Do something that challenges you. The pursuit will make you happy. Number seven, 
I'm going to say this, and it sounds backwards, but it's really not. Money can buy happiness. <laughs> now, let me make sure that you understand what that is. Having enough money to pay your bills causes a sense of happiness. The stress of not being able to live because you just don't have enough money, that, that can rob you of happiness. So having enough money to pay your bills, the secret is don't run up a bunch of bills that you know you can't pay. Live within your means. Uh, save. Many of you are at the place where now you're living on retirement income and you're living on a fixed income. So find simple pleasures and live within your means so that money isn't a detrimental thing. You'll be able to pay your bills and relax and not worry about that. Money can buy happiness if you live within your means. But unlimited money doesn't. You say, oh, what I really need is more money so that I can have more stuff and do more things and not worry about money. Well, listen, there are people all over the world. Now get this. There are people all over the world that don't have the houses we have. They don't have cars. They don't have the clothing. They don't have the luxuries. You say, oh, I don't live a luxurious life. If you've got indoor heat and air, you're living in luxury. If you have a refrigerator, if you can walk in and open a deal and it keeps food cold, most of the world, that's a luxury. Watch this. If you can walk over and turn a knob and clean water comes out, you're living well above the standard of much of the world. You lay down. I can't tell you how many no-bay people's little houses I've been in, and there is no bed, a little mat that they roll out on a dirt floor, some have a concrete thing, but most of them are dirt, little bamboo-shaped deal with some rusty tin over the top. And there's no bed. They don't have pillows and covers like we do. They, they have a hammock that they sleep in. So we do have a lot. But having more isn't what causes us to be happy. There is a thing in regards to money that does bring great happiness. You know what that is? generosity generosity it, it doesn't make you happy to have a lot but it will make you happy to give a lot to bless others to find needs and meet them and that's not all here at the church it's around you so if you are an individual that's been blessed and you've worked hard and you've saved and the lord has given you opportunity and you have a surplus be a giver you'll find joy in giving you see, these are principles of those who have built their life on the cornerstone. They live like Jesus instructed them to, and their world isn't as shaken. Why? Because their, their, their happiness isn't based on the world system. You see, the world system in regards to money says, get all you can for yourself. Measure your worth and your status by what you have. But the scripture says you should... You should measure it by what you give. All right. Blessed are those who receive, but more blessed are those who give. So be one of those. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says this. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You want to be happy in regards to your money? Work hard, save, be able to pay your bills, and if you have some surplus, be generous. Give and meet the needs of others. Or just bless others with gifts and kindness and thoughtfulness. And It doesn't have to be in response to great need, just be a giver, and it'll bring you happiness. Number eight, 
This one seems sort of strange, and it certainly goes against our Western mentality, but psychologists have told us that too many options make us miserable. We think that, listen, I'm, I love, I, I have free will. I want to be able to choose. But how many of you have ever found yourself, you go into some restaurant, and you open a menu that's this thick, and there's 42 salads, and there's 16 appetizers, and there's you know, 27 entrees, and then 16 desserts, and, and, and the waiter comes up and says, well, what would you like? And you're like, uh, and it's just too many options. And there is a disconcerted nation, uh, nature about that. Listen, there is a, a thing that psychologists, they've actually labeled that. Psychologists call it the paradox of choice. Too many options make us sad. That's just what psychologists have said. Here's what's interesting about that. We sometimes think that the Christian life, which is a constrained life, reduces the possibility that we'll be happy. But actually, the way we're made makes us happier when there are parameters on our life. Everything goes isn't the life for a human. We are made by God to have a focus on something and have parameters and restrictions. We only use that word in a negative connotation. But restrictions are healthy for us and they bring security and contentment. So don't think that a, a reduced number of options. For instance, you say, you know, my, my job only allows me every other Sunday to be in church. I think you ought to be in church every Sunday, and I, I, I recommend that people don't work jobs but, that, that are on Sunday, but there are times when that is unavoidable. Or you, you know, I, I only get, um, I don't know, with the amount of money that I've been able to make with my particular skill set, my education, I, I can't go on cruises like some people do. And I'd be happy if I could. Listen, don't let those things be the determinants. Every life has parameters on it. Find ways with whatever choices you do have. Every life has restrictions on it. Find things within that to set your heart upon and to make the most of it. And be joyous. I can remember, you remember when you were a kid? I can remember this. It's amazing how we forget things. My aunt and uncle that raised me for many years, they had a station wagon. And uh, back before we knew anything about seatbelts or, or airbags or any of that, I can remember they'd be up in the front and the back seat would lay down and it would make this, it was like a man, it was, it was like a playground. It was so big back there in that station wagon with the seat down, full-size station wagon. And I would take, man, I could take pillows and blankets and books and toys and and it was like, man, and, and what I really like to do is I'd get back in the back, the back, back window angled, and you could get back there, and you could put your pillow, and you could look up at the stars, and you could, and you could just imagine all kinds of things. I can also remember in big full-size cars back in the day, behind the back seat, remember that, that shelf they had? And, 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 and when you were little, you could ride up there. My goodness, we were breaking every safety law. They would put us in jail if we let our kids do that today. But you could lay up there, and oh my goodness, it was like being in a spaceship or something. You had the glass, and the things were moving by, and, and you could just, just imagine. And you didn't have any things. You didn't. I can remember as a kid, 
I always wanted a metal Tonka truck. You remember the Tonka trucks? They were plastic, but the really good ones were metal. And I never had a metal one, a bulldozer. So we used sticks. We used... It wasn't the stuff. We lived constrained lives, but we were joyous. And we were happy. And there were all kinds of things that sustained us. And it wasn't having unlimited options. Let me give you one more. And this one may be in the way that the Lord has created us and in shaken times and in uneasy times, this one may be the most important. Number nine, happiness is found in other people. Philippians chapter two, verse three says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I can remember when I was a kid and I saw something that Pastor Dave in his OK Kids uh, Facebook page posted. He was listing things and he asked people, all right, when I was a kid, if you had this, you were considered rich. What was it when you were a kid, if somebody had it, you thought them to be rich? My uncle had a term for that. I don't know if anybody else ever used this term. He called them jet setters. You know them jet setter people? That was people that, I guess, because they could fly on jets. And I can remember as a child, the first time I ever, I mean, I was a little older before we ever flew commercial somewhere. My goodness, that was like, that was like a Disneyland experience all by itself. Just getting on a commercial airplane and going somewhere. I think I was about 12 or 13 the first time that happened. But I can, I can remember when I was a kid, anybody, for me, anybody that had a swimming pool, you had your own swimming pool. My goodness, that was just... And it, it didn't matter above ground or in ground, but especially the in-ground pools, that was it. You had arrived. You, could, you didn't have to go to the city pool. You could just go in your backyard and go swimming. That was just the biggest deal ever. And I remember when I first went to work, I used to think that someday, someday I will make, and wait for this. I can remember when I first became a youth pastor, we were, my goodness, our first youth pastor job, we were making $125 a week. Uh, we had a little house that we lived in, and that was it. That was the whole package. And I can remember thinking, my goodness, someday we will make $30,000 a year, and we will never be able to spend all that money. That will just be, we already had Rebecca and Hannah. Hannah was born in, that, in, in the town where we had that first youth pastor job. And if we ever made $30,000 a year, my goodness, we would just be, we'd be rolling in money, Randy. We would never be able to spend it all. And you know, we eventually did make $30,000 and we found a way to spend it. <laughs> I just remember all of that. And then a couple of years ago, Leanne and I were talking about something that we wanted to do that all of our kids would come together and do it together. We started thinking about other people coming over and doing it. And we had, we had set aside some money and we'd saved some money. And we actually talked about it. She actually said, actually Leanne said it. And I, I didn't even know who she was when she said it. She said, why don't we buy a bigger boat? And I was like, oh, yes, that is a word from the throne of God. Because I, I love boats and you know that. But I started thinking about the purpose of that and what it was about to get a bigger boat. And you'd have to hook on to it. Yeah, the kids would come out and, and do stuff, but we'd all have to meet somewhere and, you know, you'd have to go to it and, and then you had to take it in and out. And I told her, I said, look, I think for about what a nice boat would cost us, we could build a pool, an in-ground pool. Here was the reason. The reason wasn't to be, 
anything other than we wanted a place where people would come, where our kids would come, because we got to a place where we recognized that the real joy in our life was when they would all come hang out. And yeah, there, there are, I mean, listen, little kids are loud and they, you know, and they, and they, I mean, they're running all over the place, but there's happiness in that. And you begin to recognize that happiness isn't in things and it isn't in options and isn't in money and it isn't in career and it isn't in getting what you want all the time. It's not in the world being, you know, easy and everything just right. It's not the absence of sadness. It's a couple of things. It's the presence of the Lord and the people that the Lord brings into your life. That happiness is in other people. And so when we begin to focus our lives on those things and we get those things figured out, first of all, that's not what the world says, is it? The world tells us that happiness is found in things in accomplishments and in titles and in positions and in the amassing of all the neatest toys and the neatest stuff and the biggest bank account and the greatest salary and the most of everything. But come on, we're smarter than that, aren't we? Happiness is found in the Lord. Happiness is found in the things that he brings. Contentment is found in his kingdom and in the people that he brings into our lives. Happiness is other people. I hope you've been encouraged by those. Why is it important? Well, you and I are giving a witness to the world about what it is to live through a time that is being shaken. And if you and I don't have a sense of joy, even in this time, then we're giving a terrible testimony to the world about the solidity of our faith and about what that faith can do in our lives. Jesus is supposed to make a difference. He's not supposed to just be a tradition. He's not supposed to just be a a thing that you have always had as a part of your life, though it's a good thing to have him in there a long time. His presence in our lives is supposed to make a difference. And one of the things that he does is bring us joy. And we need to be living in that joy so that the world can see it and they'll be drawn to him in this shaken time. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I can assure you, listen, if you and I live long enough, we're going to go through greater shaking than this. And if the joy of the Lord is in our strength, if we sort of like Chicken Little run around with our head cut off, <laughs> with the skies falling, the skies falling, the skies falling, then we're giving no testimony at all of all that the Lord really wants to do in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to be adequate witnesses of your kingdom by the joy that we exude even in shaken times. Father, you guide us to that. I pray that through your word, and through your spirit, and through the fellowship of the believers, and through our family and our friends and the people around us, and through the understanding of your provision and your kingdom, we would find great joy. Bless each one to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.